doors closing. This is Chicago and State. Dave Hoekstra, and this is Nocturnal Journal, live from the Allstate Showcase Studio here in Chicago. And we're honored to have the great Ken Nordine, much as part of Chicago, snow in January, and the Blackhawks in spring. The sound of the night and all is right. Thanks for joining us, Ken. I know this is not unusual territory for you to to be here at night on WGN. Love being here with Michigan Avenue at my shoulder. This is wild. <laughs> I love that voice. How long have you? How long have you had that voice? I was going to ask you what puberty was like for you. Well, it was, it was a, a cliff. It, my voice dropped automatically. I don't know what it was. Probably uh, the DNA got mixed up somewhere. I, I, I was dreaming of being a tenor, but uh, nope, it just dropped. It worked pretty well for girls, though. Uh, they'd say, "Hey, you, you should be in radio." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said. <laughs> I'll never do that. <laughs> now tell us, uh, tell us about your roots in. Uh, for people who've never heard the show before, never heard you about your roots in Cherokee, Iowa, and what it was like growing up. Oh, it was it was a little town, five thousand people. Uh, well, that's that's sort of a lie. It was really two thousand people, but they had the state insane asylum there, so they had three thousand people in the asylum. So it was civic pride that they put 5,000 when you drove in. But they did have, uh, it's one, it's still the two, uh, still do. It's a town with their own symphony orchestra. A town of 2,000 people with their own symphony. Fantastic, unbelievable. I could have stayed there forever, but uh, my mother had other ideas. She wanted my father to get out of town to come to Chicago. She could see that uh, the orchestra was big, but the town was too small. <laughs> your father was a, uh, am I right, that your father was a minister? No, 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 he, uh, uh, I, want, I dreamt that he was a minister, but uh, because my mother was extremely religious. She was a shrewd woman, a very good businesswoman, but she also, um, I think the religion was her counterbalance to her, Foxy ways. She's a very good businesswoman. So I would, I was carried to church from infancy. So it'd be almost osmotic the way I was uh, introduced and then swamped by Baptist religion. I was baptized, I think, twenty-seven times. I wanted to be sure that it took. <laughs> Were there things, I'm trying to think about uh, the rhythm of the voice and oration, and stuff. were there things you heard in church, were there things you heard in Iowa, were there things you heard on radio? What were the earliest sonic influences for you? Crickets. Crickets. Yeah, I, I wanted to bring some crickets, but they're getting busy. You know, this is the time of year they they really start to talk to each other. They, you know, they're the, the background that fireflies use when they're mating, Fireflies goes by, and you see him blinking his little fluorescent tail tail light on. It's the coolest light that nature has. 
He's really sending a signal down to the uh, ladies that are waiting in the cricketed grass. And when uh, one guy gets the go-ahead by his blinking, he flies down and they they make some uh, fireflies. Beautiful time. That'll be coming soon. July, we'll have that. Get in the yard and and watch what's happening. So crickets were uh, uh, a big early sound memory for you. Out in Iowa, there's oh, yeah. it, crickets actually are so loud, you just wonder how they can be that loud. They're rubbing their little hind legs together. That's how they make the sound. Now, what brought you to Chicago? Well, I was... Uh, born there, but my mother brought me here to join my father. He he built uh, some of the buildings for the 1933 World's Fair. Remember the Depression? You wouldn't, but uh, you can know of it. In 1929, things were so bad that everybody was, well, I think I got a uh, Christmas present just in the middle of the Depression. It was, it was, a, it was a wooden clothespin with the little eyes and mouth on the round part on top. It was that was in a dress on it. That was my little doll for Christmas. But my, then my father got this chance to be the superintendent of a big thing at the agricultural building for the 1933 World's Fair. That meant he would be working. And it was a blessing. It, that really helped the family a lot. What neighborhood did you settle in? The north side, pretty close to Wrigley Field. I used to park cars. I was a little infant out in front. I said, park your car, mister? Because we had the space in front of our building, you know. And uh, that was our space. They've taken that away now. We used to park cars under the elevator in back of the building. Uh, that's all been taken over. It's a big business now. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Now, um... Some somebody who like just absorbs all these sounds around you. What was it like to come into the city and just hear? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to play "I Love a Groove" here in a minute. Oh. But what was it like to hear the rhythm of the city, the groove of the city, the, the moving around, the L tracks? Just for for you to absorb all that. Well, uh, you see, when you're nearsighted, I was very nearsighted. The the, the hearing becomes a, another kind of sense that's heightened when you have that, and so. All the sounds. I lived next to the elevated tracks. In fact, the elevated was about six feet from my bedroom window, a little room I had. And by negative adaptation, after a while, I didn't even hear the the elevator go rushing, crashing, thundering by, and the wheels scraping against the rails. It and I didn't hear it. But you sure developed hearing for other things. I. Uh, nature has so many sounds that we have negative adaptation to. We don't hear the crickets, so we don't hear the 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 unbelievable chirps of birds. They're so beautiful, so uh, so out there. There's there's they're all talking to each other, of course. The, the development of a bird chirp must be a very interesting kind of. Uh, innate development from the the core of the, of the DNA of the bird wondering what to say. And so he learns to whistle. Now, would you, do you want to set up this track? Sure. Um, sure. This was I Love a Groove. 
This was off the album with uh, Jerry and then David Grisman and stuff? Yeah. Well, what happened there, they didn't know what to play. You know, he was a very free, grooving musician. Jerry Garcia. Yeah. He was, he was uh, well, it was out of control. So you, the best way to get him to do something was to say, now, find a groove that, that you're happy with. And uh, I'll be able to tell when it's right. And then I'll hop on. And that's the way it went. We just, we did a whole album. No cuts, no retakes in one day. That's all you had time for. Okay, you want to hear a little? Let's play sure. I Love a Groove. I don't know about you. Thank you. 
I love a groove. We're going to talk about that track after we take this break for some commercials. We're with the legendary Ken Nordine, so don't go away. Welcome back to Nocturnal General on 720 WGN. I'm Dave Hoekstra, and we're here with Mr. and Mrs. Ken Nordine. Thanks for coming down tonight. I want to finish up talking about that track. Uh, Howard Levy played on that. Yeah. That Tell he, us about Howard. Well, well, Howard has been a friend for years. He's a Chicago uh, artist uh, not only plays harmonica, which you heard in that, but he he can play anything, piano, flute. He just has a feeling for music that is unbelievable. What was beautiful about it, the the groove, they didn't they didn't arrange what they were going to do. They said, okay, we'll, we'll have a groove. And they knew each one how to fit in. And it was just a, a sheer beautiful uh, rapport is the best way to describe it. Where do the where do the words come? Do you write the words down? Are they improv- improvisational as well? Out of my head. Out of your head. The I, I didn't write down much of anything. Most mostly came off. You got into the groove, is what it was. I knew that there are certain cliches that we use. Cliches are great if they get groovy. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I've heard that. <laughs> So yeah, they just come into your head. Did now we haven't talked about your your background as a voiceover uh, professional here in Chicago for so many years and stuff. Did that inform like stuff we're hearing now? Well, the, no. The commercials are. I did. I, in fact, I did many of them here on WGN. Uh, I used to do the Chicago Symphony Orchestra um, commercials for Chicago Title and Trust Company. Uh, you don't add lib of commercial right. about Chicago Title and Trust Company because that was a serious business. And uh, I had to wear a tuxedo. Interesting thing, though, they didn't have teleprompters in those days. And they wanted to have the camera shoot long distance was short up of me because they had limited cameras they needed for the or- orchestra. So I had to memorize the commercials. And that was quite a trick. The commercial was about a little over a minute long. And uh, I'd spend the day that I was going to do the show memorizing what I was going to do so that I would seem like I was ad-libbing. Now you said you wore a tuxedo. Why, oh, why, yes. did, why did you do that? Oh, because the whole orchestra was the in black. Orchestra was it was there. just a very formal affair. It was, a, it was a big show. It had an audience here. Yeah, this, this, there were a lot of live shows that were going on then. And, and across the street, where um, CBS has its studios, I worked there for a while. They and I had four names. Uh, I had my own name late at night, from like ten o'clock until closing time, and then I had the name of Eric Lander and Michael Scott and uh, some other. Name I've even forgot black blacked out on the name that I had, but different names on different shows. And I told Les Atlas, who was a big wheel. Les Atlas, that's a good name. He was a big (laughs) wheel and a good friend. He had a son, Frank, that I knew pretty well. And he, uh, I asked him about the, uh, all the different names. He says, well, they're different shows, you see. I think they wanted to make sure I didn't get uppity. I finally went freelance under my own name, and then I could 
it was very funny. I lost all those names the minute I, got, I went freelance. <laughs> um, what was your? Rela- I've talked to you a lot this last couple of weeks. What was your relationship with the the Blackhawks? Did you do Cold Steel on Ice? Tell, tell us what that. Well, I I'm, I did Cold Steel on Ice for uh, uh, Bill Words, uh, Rocky's dad, and uh, well, that was some time ago. It was fun, and there were now, about when you say you did Cold Steel on Ice on, on radio. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the commercial was. Uh, just that phrase, cold steel and ice, be there. It's, you know, because they had the auditorium, the Chicago Auditorium was here, and they had about 5,000 people going. That was before it became very big. And Are you talking the auditorium or the stadium? The the, sta- the yeah. Chicago Stadium. Yeah, right. And uh, the not only was it... Uh, lonely there with 5,000 people. It was hard to get. There were moments of quiet in the hockey game, but that's because uh, Bill Wirtz's father, Arthur Wirtz, who was a very successful businessman, uh, he thought it would be giving it away to have it on television. So it was counterintuitive. When Rocky took over, he did a marvelous thing. He put it on television. Now everybody can See, at the place is packed. There's 18,000-plus people. They count them every time they play. And and it, the tickets are hard to come by. Do you go? I go to all of them. That was a gift to me. The, I know you're a huge yeah. fan. I mean, you're, well, you're a real big fan. When I went and picked up stuff this week, I saw the Blackhawk programs in your... In your yeah, I have, I have a, a Blackhawk jacket that I wear. Because from where I sit, I, I imagine that I'm telling them what to do. The other night, they, they got three goals in the first period. And I said, oh, you're great. You're doing exactly what I want you to do. Then came the second period. You can relax a little bit. I, was, I shouldn't have thought that. Because the next thing I know, they got, oh, it's 3-1. And the Wild gets another goal. It's 3-2. It's 3-3. This is ridiculous. You've you got to stop this immediately. So in the third period, I, I changed my attitude. Now you've got to make it. You've got to get a goal. How about Teravina? And he's new. Give him a chance. And Teravina made the goal. And the place went crazy, man. It was just everybody. People, strangers were hugging each other. It just, it, the, it's nothing like being with a winner. And the Blackhawks are winners. How far, how far? I was telling you before the show, how far back do you, do you go with the Blackhawks? I said, I'm like Glenn Hall, where I, I oh, throw yeah. up before every show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he, he never wore a, a face mask. Yeah, right. Yeah. I can't believe it. Yeah. Yeah, that he, no, I, I was there then. My God, I am ancient. When I think of that, I've uh, somehow managed to get up to 90-something. You just—I want to—I don't want to. You just had your ninety-fifth birthday. Yeah, right? April thirteenth. I'm right? fifty-nine, really. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, dyslexic. <laughs> it's and you're and you're so you're so vital and you're. It's just great. It's well, just I really, stopped really smoking. I stopped drinking. I'm very dull. I have an excellent diet, and and a wife who watches out for me. She's a a coach. Says and gets. She's a marvelous cook. And uh, I should be getting fat, but we have small portions. It's uh, uh, I'm much happier too. I have no hangovers, no no coughs in the night. I used to cough in my sleep, but that uh, I broke the habit. I used willpower to do it. 
Okay. We're going to take a break for the news, and we're going to come back and play a couple more tracks and and talk a little bit more with Ken Nordine. Welcome back to the Nocturnal Journal. I'm Dave Hoekstra, and we're here with Ken Nordine. We're going to set up this track, um, Faces in the Jazz Mataz. This was 1959. I think if we ever had a a real theme song for this this show, (laughs) this would be it. I mean, I was only four years old in 1959, but you're you're citing the London House and the Sutherland. Tell me about this track. Well... That those were all the big nightclubs at that time. I always wanted to do something about the musicians in in Chicago because there are so many great ones. This uh, there used to be a place called the Lealoa. It was a Hawaiian bar on uh, Sheridan Road, a little north of Lawrence. And it was a it was a Hawaiian bar Wednesday through Sunday, but Monday and Tuesday, Howard uh, Levy. Or Dick Marks was there. Dick Marks, uh, right. Marks and, and Johnny Frigo. Johnny Frigo. And, and a singer. And uh, I would sit in, and I would read poems that I'd memorized, uh, and they'd back it up. Well, that was fine until I ran out of memory. Uh, then I had to think of something on the urge. And uh, so I'd sit in, and I, I learned to ad-lib, and I would write my ad-libs out a little bit so that it would have some shape. And Faces in the Jasmine Taz wanted to talk about the feeling that the city has because the place was packed. Monday and Tuesday, you'd think there were a fight in the place because people were out on the street trying to get in. It was a small little bar, but it was very uh, long distance from Hawaiian on Monday and Tuesday. So we had a chance to do all sorts of things. And from that, I said, I'll do something about the city and about the kind of music, kind of jazz we were playing and the fun we were having in those golden, olden days. And I should say Dick Marks is on this and Johnny Frigo plays Dick bass and on Johnny this. Frigo, yeah. And before we get into the into the track here, man, I think we're going to do something rare, which we don't do too much on the show. Want to take some calls? Sure. Okay. At three one two nine eight one seventy two hundred. Do I have that right, Dan? Okay. I'll <laughs> call right. myself up. Yeah, okay. That's three eight. 312-981-7200, and here's Faces in the Jazz Mataz. What do they mean? The faces in the night looking into the antique mirror of jazz. By what insistent instinct do we crowd the smoking dark? And watch with our seashell ears the pounding truth break against the huge, inchoate spirit of this biggest of the little cities. And why do the stars of this spirit's music shine with such intensity upon the double zero of our blinking eyes? The questions multiply the mystery. Are we the face of get away from it all? Have another drink, baby. Live it up. Let's have a ball before the great big all goes up in fire and brimstone. Make mine a double and short on the soda. Clap hands in the reeling darkness and play lusty animal with the yeah, yeah, yeah of drowning night. You should have seen me when I stood on the table and the bouncer came with his tuxedo and the alcoholic air rocking with rolls of laughter after while the ghosts of Dixieland's gone white are crashing through the changes inside the saints go marching in. One for the road, 
and hiccup home to hangover. Are we this face? Are we the face of get there, get there, get there? Who's at the Blue Note? Who's at the Sutherland? Somebody's opening at the London House. Grab a cab and seize upon the tuck, ticking, ticky-tuck. Should I wear the mink? Somebody said something is happening at the Cloister Inn. And the long lines form in front of the revolving door of the spinning now, now, now. Do I look all right? Keep the change. I read in Downbeat. And the smoke rises above the hubbub as the cash register LPs come alive. Mr. and Mrs. Face face up to an evening on the town. Twelve conventioneers, accompanied by a driving rat-a-tat-tat, become disciples of punchline pornography, and expense accounts rise in the falling jazz, and a waiter's feet hurt. Something ends, and the applause begins. This clapping reward is bridge for the blues. Aren't you glad you came? Aren't you? Are we this face? Are we the face of I wonder as I wander, looking with the look that little children have for that loving something, for that joyous whatever it is, for that delightful I don't know what next, tired of playing run, sheepy run, and follow the leader. The game we're looking for is looking for us. And it's called one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Green light, a great, big, huge, unbelievably infinite go sign for this biggest of the little sleepwalking cities, where the dream we dream is just around imagined nightmares' corner. Come on along to Renaissance, which is anywhere you want it. Hope swings eternal, and that's where everything is in Jazzmatazz, Chicago. Don Quixote rides across the sprawl of us in a crazy movie called The Midwesterner. Gallops across the jumping night where everyone waits to see where the real action is, and we strike our matches against old Chicago midnight, against old anywhere's midnight, somewhere below the non-stop jet from New York to Hollywood. Hi, stranger. Are we this face? All these faces and more and more we are, and the truth is right in front of us when our backs are turned. So pick up your trumpet and play this, Doomsday Boys and Girls of Dust. Come blow your horn for Mr. Must. Full circles roll in spirals down into the fright of the thinnest town. Faces in the Jazzmatazz. Yeah, that was, my Ken Nordine. That wasn't ad-lib. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you record that at? It was down in Chicago here, Universal. Universal, recording. that's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. Now, you know, people, I want you to, in your own words, people say what you do is word jazz. How do yeah. you describe word jazz? To- well, uh, it starts with a premise. For example, it could be anything. Uh, did you call your mother? That's the beginning sentence. Then the second, let's say the first sentence was something else. I thought of a cage went in search of a bird. That's something that Kafka wrote. That's your first sentence. Then your second is a very long sentence. And you're explaining what 
what you mean by uh, which would you rather be, the cage or the bird? Would you rather be something that keeps them something in place or do you want to be able to fly free and do whatever you want? And that's the second paragraph, and that can go very, very long. But the third paragraph of what you do is explaining why you're explaining. And then you get into the motivation of why you even are involved with such involutional intellection. It becomes a springboard into the spirit of where all your words are. Words are wonderful inventions. I sometimes try to imagine who thought of the words first. Who thought of bird? Who thought of cage? Uh, and uh, the juxtaposition, juxtaposition of those two. That, that's how I get started. Did you run? That was 1959. Did you did you run with the Beats? Did you go out to San Francisco? Did you? No, I I, I didn't go out there. I did I did some commercials out there. I did a, a commercial for a paint company out there. It was a funny thing that happened. There it was the Fuller Paint Company. They no longer exist. They were bought up, but. Uh, I could do anything I wanted with color. All I had to say was the Fuller Paint Company mentioned their name. And uh, the Fuller Paint Company presents a color. And then at the end, uh, say, a century of leadership and the chemistry of color. So I'd, uh, I'd do something, for, say, for yellow. Uh, and I wrote, in the beginning, oh no, long before that, when yellow was deciding who'd be in or out of spectrum, uh, yellow was in serious trouble. See, no one seemed to care, least of all yellow. It was very bad for yellow. And he, yellow wept yellow tears for several eternals before there were years until uh, blue came along. See, green didn't want uh, yellow in, but that's the way it was. So I did colors, I did, and uh, it went on the air. And people would call up, oh, play that again. And, of course, they couldn't. It was a commercial. that They, they paid so much for each play to the station. So that was the death of the commercial there. They, they had to take them off the air. But I decided I had done 10 for them. I thought, well, I'll do a few more. So I did 34. Right. And, uh, and it came out. Now it's been out as an album on colors, which is one of the better things that I... We were going to try to squeeze some of those in. I don't know if we'll have... I want to play uh, the, uh, the no, movie, could, movie track. You can see what we did with Yellow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Yellow's funny. It's good. It's good. Now, has anyone ever said that... Has anyone told you, like, this was the very first rap music? No, I, it probably the instinct is the same. Right. Um, music sometimes I notice lately is is becoming so simplified. You get a of uh, a, a riff of some kind, and it's up to two measures long, and then they repeat that, repeat that, repeat that, and it makes it very simple. Uh, that's why jazz they wouldn't allow that. They they. They couldn't be bored that easily. But it makes it uh, easier to write a song. If you get two good bars, that's all you need. Repeat them. You're very big um, in doing in doing my reading about you and stuff and, and reading about you this week. You're very big on moments. I mean, you wrote, maybe the moment, whatever it means, is under a pile of old magazines that I can reread. 
someday when I choose to find myself lost and used to be news. That's a funny thing, a story of that. that there's a guy in, in Evanston, uh, Mike, or Mick Michael, like a Michael Klein. He has a magazine called Film Facts. And uh, I write her maybe the moment, you know, four times a year. It's a quadrennial magazine. So, um, and each one is always begins with maybe the moment. And they're always eight lines long, rhyming two, four, and six, six, eight. But for example, maybe the moment is older than God and weighs twice as much. What's even more odd, before the Big Bang began to begin, guess who invented original sin? Well, that just sits there. Not too long, not pretentious, with a little illustration. And uh, so I look forward to doing those. And, and, and as they are, they're lost in this wonderful magazine on old film facts, you know, <laughs> things that have been happening in the film by independent filmmakers, hopers to be filmmakers. In fact, I, I've been doing a film in the computer myself called Agonbite of Inwit. I put it together, the whole film, about 68 minutes long, in uh, the computer. Because you can do that now. You can play around with the images and distort them till they don't, don't, don't know where they're going. You're Just doing that to, now? Yeah. You're working on that now? Well, it was, I did that. I'm working on a sequel. Uh, I'll call it accident, I think. But Agon Bite of Inwit, actually what that means, the again bite of your inner wit. It's a phrase that James Joyce used in Finnegan's Wake, but he borrowed it uh, from a Dominican monk who lived in the 14th century. So I borrowed it, and it's a great title for what I wanted to do. Agon Bite means the again bite of your inner wit or your conscience. So I wrote things that had to something to do with that. We're going to take a break for some commercials, and we're going to come back and play uh, play the movie. Is that okay? Oh, great. Okay. Don't go away with Ken Nordine here on WGN. Welcome back to the Nocturnal Journal here on 720 WGN. If there's any two patron saints of this, hipster saints of this show, it would be Ken Nordine and Tom Waits. So I'm looking right at Ken Nordine. Do you want to set up uh, the movie here? When was uh, this done? This was a conversation I had with uh, Tom in the attic of my house. Really? Where I have a studio. And it... Uh, it's a little off the wall, but we were just talking one soul to the other. He's a good friend. He's, I've known him for years. He's a great talent, no question about it. But you both He's have such go, sharp wits. And my voice is smooth and his is rough, but it's the same kind of brain. Okay, let's hear the movie. I was talking to Tom about this movie that nobody wants me to make. It's a musical called M, starring uh, Siamese twins connected by the lips. <laughs> connected by the lips. Now, I figured that how to do that, too. See, I had this yeah. uh, dentist friend, oh. a very religious guy. Yeah. In fact, he believes in the laying on of hands. and He, he really would touch a tooth and make it better. Yeah, yeah. That's why I go to him. I can't stand pain. Right. 
but I'm getting off the, the track. He has, uh, 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 you know, I think he'd go along. He could be in the movie. I okay. figured he should All be right. in the movie. All right. Is he, is he have any acting experience? No, no, no. He's, no? He, he'd be a reactor. Ah, yeah, uh, just yeah, a reactor. He's got this, you know, mask that he wears. Yeah. And yellow gloves. He's, he's afraid. That yeah. He, you know, he's very nervous. But I get the camera on him, a wide-angle camera on him. Yeah, yeah. And I'd ask him if he could make a double mouthpiece. Mm-hmm. What I'm thinking of, you've seen these things that they use in the circus? Uh-huh. Uh, where the, the girl bites into this mouthpiece and they pull her up. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, uh, they, they suspend her by, by, and she's biting onto some kind of a right. stick. Or up to the top of the tent? Yeah, right. Well, what I, he'd make a double thing with a little rubber holding it together. Ah, yeah. And then we'd audition these identical twins. Yeah. And and that would hold them together. So it would seem, you know, it would look like I'm talking about. Right. Hmm. Maybe we should have a, a boy and girl. Are there boy and girl identical twins? I, I, well, they're not. I wouldn't call them identical. I mean, if they were, they were boy. And well, boy maybe and that girl. could be. Then they could be separated in the film. Uh huh. See, see, the idea is not just that, though. That's just yeah. part of it. Yeah. There's another guy in the film that uh, I try to help. Because I, I thought of calling the movie The Devout Catalyst Yeah Is the title mm-hmm. There's another guy Who uh, is a tattoo artist mm. And But he's avant-garde he, he wants to do something Very special Something new Yeah in the world. So we go to this chemist yeah. That I know And he makes a slippery Ink Yeah So the tattoo You know It just It just doesn't sit there Why? It moves mm. Slowly across the surface Of the skin Yeah Toward the nearest opening. See this? Uh, how many openings are there? Well, you mean you mean orifice? Uh, yeah. How many? Yeah. How many actual? One, two, three, uh, three, four, five. Whichever uh, one it's closest to, you yeah, see, goes in there, and then it moves inside your body through the endothelium. Yeah. And say it was an eagle. Yeah. And it gets inside of you and it gets digested. Yeah. Maybe it gets stuck and behind your right kneecap. Right. You rub it and gets loose. And when it comes out, it looks like a clay. Right. Or maybe a Rouen or, you know, or Thurber. You know. That's wild. But well, uh, I got a little money laying around. I, I've been, you know. What we'd have to have with that is, uh, well, that's a special effect. Yeah. We'll have to get some kind of a decal that will slide across this. Yeah. But the trouble is, when I tell anybody about this, they, they laugh and... So what I figure I'll do is put my own money in it. Yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, just put but in the movie, yeah. the kids, my three kids, and my wife, want to have me committed. Right. Yeah, that's the plot. <laughs> that if you really do what you want to do, they, they'll commit you. Yeah. Wow. It'll be a great movie. Well, are, are you going to direct? Uh, well, if we can get Jerry to do the music track. The music, yeah. And, and you could, you know... Maybe I could play a part. You, well, you could be the guy I'm talking to about. Yeah, right. I bet you. Get a far-out bar and sit there and... Star. Yeah. Yeah. You a musical called M. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I'm looking to diversify my investment portfolio, and I, I've been looking to get into something strange, you know, so... Hey, what we could do, we could have you in it. Mm-hmm. Take out your wallet, yeah, and moths fly out. Yeah, 
That's a special effect, too. <laughs> you get a bug guy for that. They, they have bug guys in Hollywood. Right, that, to do that. All they do is they work in the insect world. You're going to have a lot of medical footage in this, too, I guess. Yeah, I could put that yeah. thing in about the January flies, too, in our yeah. bedroom. Yeah. January flies? What? That was insane. What are January flies? Well, we don't have them in Chicago, but... In the middle of January, I yeah. went to the bedroom, and there were 20 of these almost as big as horse flies wow. on the pink walls. And uh, my That's annoying. Is, oh, it's terrible. Yeah. And they, they were sluggish because it was January. They were a little slow. Yeah, and I couldn't hit them with the paper because they'd splat. Yeah. And I couldn't too. spray them. You know. You're going to sleep. You no, don't want that in the room. No, I'd kill myself that yeah. way. So I got the bright idea to get the vacuum cleaner and with the long hose we We sucked them into the the vacuum cleaner. And when I know they were all gone. Well, but they were in the vacuum cleaner, really. Yeah, it's still alive, too. Yeah. Because it was like a wind tunnel. Yeah. They went down there. So we, I put some, uh, uh, cl- you know, tissue paper at the end. Yeah. So they wouldn't get out. Hmm. Yeah, but they come back this the next night. There were 20 or 30 more. Wow. So, uh, well, what I what I did then, I, I called a chimney sweep. Chimney sweep? Yeah. Uh, there's a girl by the name of Debbie Dove. She's from, a chimney sweep. Yeah, from Vermont. Ah. And uh, she said, no, let me check your chimney. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a good place to start. I mean, if you have a fly problem, a lot of people will look in the chimney first. And she uh, took the barricade that I had so nobody could come in through the chimney. There were two uh, dead squirrels inside there, you know, just... uh, And the flies belonged to the squirrels. All right, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, she she sold us three uh, squirrel traps for the chimneys, and uh, we're safe now. Yeah, no more flies. Do you think we could get her in the film? Gee, I don't know. We could write a part for her. Yeah, uh, we should. You know, she yeah. have any uh, film experience? I guess we'd have to get two dead squirrels in the film, too. Yeah, well, you get an animal guy for that. Yeah. yeah. Gee, I'm so glad that you're interested in the yeah. film, really. Yeah, I think uh, I'm ready to go into production. And, uh, so you just let me know. Oh, great. We'll call it The Devout Catalyst. I love it. Yeah, good title. A lot of action in the film too. I guess. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a. I have one thing that I. Uh, I have this picture window ant colony that I'll. I'll have is for the titles. Ah, nice. Yeah. So they, the, the the ants will actually spell out the, the title of the right. film and, and the credits. Well, they'll actually uh, pull little tissue paper uh, credits. Yeah. The, nice. Yeah. What about a fly with a little trailer with the title of the film on it flying around the bedroom. Nice. Well, Tom, you've made me feel a lot better. (laughs) Thanks. Seriously, I I thought no one would care. But thanks. I'm there for you, Ken. You're a pal. We took it right to the news. Thank you, Ken Nordine, for coming down here. Maybe you want to come back later this summer? Sure. It, it, this was great. This is really great. Glad so we're, we're very honored to have you.